The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The teachings of the Ascended Masters are universal and available to all. The Ascended Masters themselves are the saints and sages of East and West, and their teachings incorporate the original core beliefs of all the world's major religions. No matter which religious path you follow, you will find these teachings equally compelling. This is The Open Door. Come along with us as we explore the teachings of the Ascended Masters. Here are the hosts for The Open Door, Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. And greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Open Door, the online voice of the Summit Lighthouse, where we publish and practice the teachings of the Ascended Masters, and where we invite you to awaken to the light within. I'm Tom Schumacher. And I'm Terry Kennedy. And we also want to welcome Reverend Peter Duffy into our conversation today. Hi, Peter. Hi, Terry. It's great to be here. Hi, Peter. It's good to have you here. Hi, Tom. Yeah. Well, today we are concluding our three-part series on reincarnation. We've been having fun with this, if there's anything fun about reincarnation, (laughs) as we have been using excerpts from Elizabeth Clare Prophet's electrifying series of lectures on reincarnation titled Nine Cats and Nine Lives. So far in parts one and two of our series, we've examined the past lives of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Mm -hmm. Winston Churchill, and Margaret Thatcher. And today we'll be looking at a most unlikely candidate for this study, someone you've all heard of. Oh, that that person is famous, all right. In fact, we would probably all agree that this individual is quite notoriously infamous. Yeah, indeed. Who is it? Well, to tell you would spoil the surprise. But we can tell you this. The soul whose embodiments we will examine today was actually beatified in a previous embodiment. Yeah, (laughs) only to come back and proceed to make some pretty heavy negative karma. (laughs) Now, you've heard these lectures, Peter. What do you think? Uh, And please don't give any clues away. (laughs) Well... Uh, Terry, it's just fascinating to see how people's present lives are shaped by the past. Oh, indeed. And also, I think what you learn is uh, the aspect of free will, how you may have been a saint in a past life and (laughs) come back and it doesn't necessarily see you through to this life. You're not immune. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as we've said on numerous occasions in past shows, opportunities to balance and transmit our negative karma demonstrate the mercy of God. And he wants us to succeed, to pass our tests, and eventually return to the bliss of his cosmic consciousness. And it is through our free will that we choose to accept these opportunities and make the most of them. This is why we have chosen to examine now the lives of these famous individuals we are profiling in this series. We want to demonstrate how their lives were shaped and influenced by the karma they made in Mm -hmm. past embodiments, and look at the choices they made to deal with their karma. Yeah. Yeah. We should point out again that the life of the famous figure we will be examining today has been chosen from a fascinating lineup of individuals. <laughs> I'll say. The embodiments of these souls have been chronicled in a remarkable collection of lectures by Elizabeth Clare Prophet titled Nine Cats and Nine Lives. Yep, and these lectures are all on DVD titled appropriately Nine Cats and Nine Lives, which technically covers the lives and embodiments of seven historically significant individuals, not nine. The key is to understand that we have all had multiple lives 
and multiple opportunities to make karma and balance it. And again, I think it's safe to say that this is radio unlike <laughs> anything you'll hear anywhere else, well, Tom. In a way, this is unfortunate. Uh, by that, I mean that the subject of reincarnation and the lawful requirement to balance our negative karma should be common knowledge. It shouldn't be something we discover by accident or come to learn about too late to be of any use to us, to our soul's growth and homeward path. This is why we feel so fortunate in having the teachings of the Ascended Masters to guide us. Yeah, indeed. Particularly those of us in the West who may <laughs> not have had the benefit of growing up understanding karma and reincarnation. Yeah, I've got to ask you something, Peter, real quick. Is Australia considered to be in the West? Ah, ge- not geographically, but yeah. uh, in other ways, definitely. <laughs> All right, I just wanted to... Quest of a certain line somewhere. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, you know, I think opportunity is the key word here that we're talking about. Yeah. Each embodiment we live through includes circumstances, lessons, and relationships that give us priceless opportunities to correct past mistakes and right past wrongs. Oh, indeed. You know, this is so important because we must balance our negative karma if we hope to ascend. And the ascension is the goal of life. And in fact, whatever we choose to do in life, we will be dealing with our karma. <laughs> That's true. And, and, and the more gracefully we can do it, the better life will go for us. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the understanding of the whole subject of karma and reincarnation can really help us fulfill our goals in life, whatever they may be. Yeah. And working through karma is not an option, but an <laughs> absolute necessity Indeed, we wish to achieve the goal of the ascension. And, and we know that it took a long time, many, many lifetimes to make negative karma, but thank God we can <laughs> greatly accelerate the balancing of our karma with the help of the ascended masters and the incredible violet flame. Well, as so many times we've said this, that when we apply the violet flame diligently, we really can greatly accelerate the transmutation of our negative karma. And how do we apply the violet flame? Mm -hmm. Through decrees, through the science of the spoken word. I think these are really the, uh, two of the most important tools in our toolbox. You know, mm -hmm. the violet flame, and you can visualize it, you can pray for it. But if you add to this the dynamic decrees, yeah. then you can really find out what the violet flame can do for you. And, and yeah. these are practical tools. These aren't things that require a lot of study to understand. Of course, you want to diligently apply them. But they're not hard to understand. No, they're right there. Not. Well, right. when we say dynamic about decrees, that's because they're delivered aloud with focused intensity and repeated to establish a powerful momentum. And they are strong enough to clear away a lot of accumulated gunk, both past and present. Which brings us back to the discussion of reincarnation as an opportunity to deal with our accumulated gunk, as you say. <laughs> yeah. And this time, get it right and get it resolved. Well, again, this is why we have chosen to study the past embodiments of these famous people. Because we know them for their talents and accomplishments in this lifetime, we can look back, as it were, and see how and why their life situations and circumstances unfolded as they did. And through these examples, we will be better able to understand why our own lives are unfolding <laughs> as they are. Well, there are reasons why things happen to us, why certain people are in our lives, why we seem to know things we've, we've never studied in this lifetime, or why our life circumstances seem to be following a certain pattern. Well, you know, the sooner we realize we're in a karmic drama of our own making, the sooner we can focus our efforts and consciousness on balancing the karmic ledger, pay our debts to life, and finally move on to our immortal estate. And that's why we continually harp on this subject. It is essential that you know what has shaped your life circumstances and what you can do to take full advantage of the situations you find yourself in and really add rocket fuel to your spiritual journey. And speaking of adding to your spiritual journey, you can find the entire Ascended Master <laughs> toolbox at tsl.org. These are 
great resources for any spiritual seeker. Well, and thank you, Peter, because um, this is something we began doing in a couple of recent shows. We're mentioning that Affront, TSL.org, is a great place to go if you're looking for tools, opportunities for really getting engaged with your spiritual journey. For example, Keepers of the Flame. This fraternity is something that you want to know about because it has lessons you're getting every month. They take you down this path, this journey, and it is non-denominational. You can go to tsl.org slash keepers, and you can download Lesson 1 absolutely free. And we've also got printed and online pearls of wisdom sent to your inbox or mailbox every month and featuring amazing dictations from the Ascended Masters. Yep, <laughs> and we've got newsletters in English and Spanish that will keep you connected and up-to-date with all Summit Lighthouse news, products, services, and events. And you might want to consider our new Summit University School of Theology online. Go to summituniversity.org for all the details. And there's plenty more, but let's get back to today's topic, reincarnation. We talk about reincarnation as opportunity, opportunity to qualify for our ascension. We believe that this is the goal of life. So what will it take to make it happen? What are the qualifications? Well, number one, Mm -hmm. uh, you need to have balanced at least 51% of your karma. You need to have more on the positive side of the ledger than the (laughs) negative. Okay. Uh, Number two, you need to have fulfilled your mission, whatever purpose you came here to to, to fulfill in life. The divine blueprint. Divine blueprint, divine plan, a lot Mm -hmm. of names for it. But, you know, many people come in with that sense that there's something they have to do in life, whether uh-huh. it's to be a, uh, you know, a movie star or whether it's to be a politician or whether <laughs> it's to be a, a doctor or, you know, some people from very early on know what they've come to do. Yep. And, and fulfilling that mission is one of the keys to making your ascension. Well, now, you mentioned that. I, I, I think we've seen it before and it, we've certainly repeated this idea many times that there are two essential ways to accelerate the transmutation of karma. One is the decrees, Violet Flame. The other is service. Yeah, definitely. So when you talk about your cosmic blueprint, your divine plan, as it were, Mm -hmm. this is a plan to basically engage in service to life. Yeah, definitely. It's service to life, and it's it's not only the means, it's the means of balancing your karma, Mm -hmm. fulfilling that, but it's also the means of developing your talents and skills and actually leaving the legacy that you are meant to leave on Earth when you... Graduate to other levels. Now, there, another qualification is the um, balancing of the threefold flame. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I know we had shows on this before. This is something that uh, just a quick overview would maybe be helpful for people who are unfamiliar with that. These are um, the power, wisdom, and love flames, basically pink, yeah, blue, and yellow. It's the three aspects of the flame within yeah. the heart, the, the divine spark within each of us. Yeah. And... Um, it, the flame can't grow any higher than the lowest plume. So whatever one you're weak on is the one you want to expand. And then the, 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 the flame itself can expand and it can start to spin. And when that threefold flame expands, then life just takes on a whole different dimension. Indeed. And we all know people that will look at them and or feel their, their essence and go, wow, there's a lot of heart there. Yeah. Or that person's in their head or, you know, they're... There's different ways in which you can associate people with probably their dominant plume. Yeah. I mean, you come across people and you see that this is someone who is really real. There's, yeah. a, real, you know, there's yeah. a real heart flame there. You know, like Mother Teresa, someone like that. Indeed. Yeah. You know. Well, are there any other basic qualifications? I'm sure there are other, well, I wouldn't say minor. They're all pretty major. But yeah. we've got three full flame. We've yeah. got ba- your, your, your divine plan. Yeah. And you're balancing at least 51% of your karma. Yeah. Is there any other? Well, another one is to... Um, 
overcome the negative aspect of your consciousness, which we call a dweller on the threshold. Ah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's the, the thing that gets into troubles. Gets us into trouble sometimes. Did we do a show on the dweller recently, Terry? Well, we've touched on the dweller, and it's it's pretty heavy duty stuff. You know, <laughs> that would Kidding. be an interesting show sometime. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I think it would. Yeah. Well, at, at this point, amazing how fast this goes. Oh my it? gosh! Um, we've got to take a short break. But do stay with us, because when we return, we will begin our examination of the past lives of today's mystery figure. See if you can figure out who it is. Stay tuned. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Right now, all over the world, Warriors of Light are working tirelessly to defend your soul's opportunity to achieve oneness with God. These spiritual warriors are keepers of the flame, and though few, the power they wield is greater than all of the weapons made by man. Founded by St. Germain in 1961, Keepers of the Flame is a non-denominational fraternity in the tradition of ancient spiritual orders. When you join, you'll receive a series of lessons that will introduce you to a vast and dynamic spiritual world. See for yourself. Access Lesson 1 right now, completely free, no login required. Simply go to tsl.org slash keepers, and in seconds you could be exploring a whole new world of practical Ascended Master teachings. Lessons are printed or available online for any time, anywhere access, and anyone can join. Discover your real self and explore your full spiritual potential. Become a keeper of the flame today and awaken to the light within. Please visit tsl.org slash keepers and prepare to accelerate. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. You know, in our history and culture, there are certain figures that stand out for their accomplishments, both good and bad. Today's focus is on someone who, over a span of lives, made a lot of karma on both sides of the cosmic ledger. We'll see how far we get into this life before you might recognize who this person might be. Life number one, ancient Atlantis. Male. He was a general who became a benevolent dictator of a province. He was generally well loved until he attempted to impose a new tax on a prosperous seaport. He was attempting to raise money to build an elaborate new seat of government in the capital. He demanded 10% of all revenues brought in by trade through the port. The town fathers refused. He sent in troops, the people resisted. They were not accustomed to battles or fighting, and they were badly beaten. To teach the rest of the province a lesson, he ordered everyone in the town killed. In this life, he was plagued by a deep sense of insecurity, caused when his mother left his father, a well-known statesman. He was raised by a nurse who died. He had mistrust for everyone, even though he tried to be a good ruler. 
The incident with the seaport caused him to feel insecure and that he was losing control. His mother had become a very wealthy woman upon the death of the man she ran off with, a merchant. She lived in the town that he destroyed. She was one of the leading opponents of the tax. He felt very angry and saw it as a personal betrayal that she would oppose him publicly. When it came time to kill the citizens, not even she was spared. Life number two, Atlantis, female. He was reborn as a girl into a respected family with a rigid father and a liberal mother. Her father rejected her after she was caught in bed with one of the servants. She was seeking approval from the common people whom she had wronged in the last life and at the same time emulating the mother who had abandoned her in the last life. This soul had a choice in life to become a humanitarian and serve the people and improve conditions for the poor. She chose the low road by becoming a prostitute. She was forever seeking approval from father figures as a means of atoning for past life wrongs. Eventually, she became a madam who owned a chain of whorehouses. She enjoyed having power over other women as their employer and over men by knowing their secrets. She became wealthy. Life number three, Atlantis, male. This soul was given a final opportunity to choose a higher path. He was born into a poor, tightly knit family in a fishing village. His mother and father loved each other and their nine children. The area was isolated, frequently overcast, rocky, and victim of violent storms. On rare days when it was clear, it was a beautiful place. The parents gave their children strict religious training, according to the monotheistic religion of the time. They dedicated their third son to God. He became devoted and studied hard for the priesthood. He returned to his village and served faithfully for forty years as the village priest. Because of his efforts, the town knew a new piety and a closeness to God. Upon his death, they considered him a saint. Many of these people were among those he had slaughtered, and he was able to repay some of his debt to them. Life number four, Phoenicia, a male. The soul was born into the slums of Phoenicia. Phoenicia was an area occupied by the Phoenicians in an area today occupied by Lebanon. Their principal cities were Tyre and Sidon. They flourished around 1250 B.C. He had talents as an organizer and leader. He was given another chance to balance his karma by becoming a wise and benevolent leader. Instead, he became a criminal and ruled over other criminals. He was kind to the poor but took money from them. He practiced brutal reprisals against anyone who opposed or betrayed him. He became a big daddy type who controlled prostitution and gambling. After his death by stabbing from rival criminals, he realized that he had wasted his opportunities and resolved to do better in his next life. Life number five, Italy, 11th century, male. He was born to a servant in one of the great houses of a cardinal in Italy. He became a servant as well. He served faithfully but was corrupted by the corrupt atmosphere of the times. He became a trusted assistant to the cardinal and took bribes for allowing access to him. He became a drunkard and a libertine. His wife left him and took the children. Once he was ordered to throw someone out of the palace and punish him for his forwardness, he beat the man over the head with a stick. The man died, although he had not intended to kill him. In later life, he was remorseful and tried to pay back everyone he had wronged. He became a hermit and died of old age. 
Life number six, France, 1298 to 1349, male. Cardinal in the Catholic Church at Avignon. The Catholic Church was headquartered in the French city of Avignon, as you know, from 1309 to 1378. The move took place after a French archbishop was elected Pope Clement V. The seven Avignon popes were without exception sensuous and greedy. Pope Clement VI built himself a palace next to the Rhone River that the French diarist Froissart called the finest and strongest building in the world. Cardinals of the day lived more like princes than holy men. They had grand abodes along the banks of the Rhone with staffs of 150 servants. It was common for them to have one or more mistresses. When they had children, the popes regularly legitimized them. Author Peter de Rosa writes about the life of a cardinal at Avignon. Some cardinals had between four and five hundred of the richest livings. A living is an office for which they received monies. It meant they could afford the handsomest little boys whom they abused for sexual purposes, if they were so inclined, or the most beautiful ladies in waiting. Everyone in Avignon was well off. The musicians, the craftsmen, the bankers, goldsmiths, astrologers, pickpockets, and the spectacular whores. Few complained that Bacchus and Venus were more honored than Jesus Christ in Avignon. The Inquisition tortured and burned monks and friars who questioned the lavish lifestyle of the pontiff, since Jesus had lived in poverty. This soul began with good intentions but milked the people for money. He lived the good life, accepted and extorted bribes, and became the essence of all that was corrupt in the church, including buying and selling church offices. His opportunity in this life was to help reform the church, but he failed. He had several mistresses, one who loved him sincerely. She had been his mother on Atlantis and tried to make up for the wrongs she had caused him. He died when the bubonic plague swept the city of Avignon. Over half the city was killed. Filled with remorse for his wasted opportunity, he vowed to do better in his next life. I think you can see that having a deathbed remorse and vowing to do better next time can become dangerous because each lifetime you vow this and don't do it, you are building the same momentums of negativity. And these are deep ruts in the psyche, and you tend to fall back into those ruts, and it takes an awful lot of initiative and energy to climb out of the rut, fill the rut in, fill in that hole that you've made, and, and carve out a new destiny, a new road for yourself. I would also like to point out that much of what is happening to him for a number of lifetimes is the divorce of his mother from his father. This is what really crushed him and starts him on this trend of getting into prostitution and always seeking favor and approval that he did not get as positive reinforcement as a child. Think of the karma of parents in these situations and think of what it does. It doesn't end with that life. Life number seven, Sicily, 1430 to 1490, male. Aloysius Rabata was his name. He became a Carmelite monk and later the prior of the friary at Randazzo. Butler's Lives of the Saints says, He lived on bread and water and was remarkable for his humility, his patience, and his zeal for souls. As superior, he insisted upon performing such tasks as road mending and begging for alms. He received a serious blow to the head late in life. 
He refused to identify the man who had beaten him. He died soon after. He was beatified by the Catholic Church in 1841. Today he is known as the Blessed Aloysius Rabata, and his relics are in the Collegiate Church of St. Mary at Randazzo. His death through the blow to his head paid off the karma of his having killed a man in Rome. Life number eight, France, 19th century male. In this life he was meant to pay off more of his karma for the destruction of the town and its inhabitants on Atlantis. He was born into an extremely poor family. His father beat him. His mother ran off. He was beat up by gangs. He married and had five children. His wife and children were all killed in a fire. For this cause, he became angry at God. Wherefore, he turned against God. He decided in a very deep decision of his being to make his way without God. Stop and think now. This 19th century France is Catholic France. It did not teach him about karma and reincarnation. If he had known about karma and reincarnation and it was taught to him on his mother's knee and in the catechism, lessons from the church, he would have looked at this death of his family as a just and true and righteous judgment of God he would have been humble before the law and his God, hopefully. I'm saying he would have had a much better chance to deal with that situation if the Church had given him the true teachings of our Lord and Savior. He did not have those teachings. He made this decision, and it has affected his life ever since. He became a smuggler and accumulated money. He was shot by a jealous competitor at age 39. After death, he was still angry at God. You think that your angers and your jealousies and your arguments end at death. They do not end at death, whether you have a feud with your neighbor or a feud with God. The Bible says, He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. That's a quote from Revelation, and what it means, as Mark Prophet taught that verse to me, is that as you are when you die, so you are on the other side, and so you will be until you make a conscious decision to change. Death does not clear your life. It doesn't wipe it clean. It doesn't wipe all the chips off the gambling table. Everything is in place just as it was. The only difference between you now and you after the change called death is that you don't have a physical body. You have your emotions, you have your memories, you have your mind. And after that passing, you are more connected to the soul, and so you have the recollection of previous lifetimes, and you see them before the lords of karma. So this individual became a smuggler and accumulated money. He was shot by a jealous competitor at age 39. After death, he was still angry at God, and when he was brought before the karmic board, he refused to look at his karmic record. He stood before these seven glorious beings of light filled with mercy and compassion and refused to take instruction from them or from the Christ presence to look at his karmic record. Now talk about defiance. It takes an awful lot to stand before a celestial being of such stature. 
and to face to face reject their directions. <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed at that. I'll say this does yeah. not bode well. <laughs> no. Well, up next, we'll continue our up close look at this famous figure. Have you uh, figured out who it is yet? Well, stay tuned because there's more clues on the way. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. At the Summit Lighthouse, our goal is to help you awaken to the light within and discover your real self. Today, thousands of spiritual seekers all around the world are using the universal teachings of the Ascended Masters to make their higher selves a permanent part of their reality. And you can too. The Ascended Masters are the saints and sages of East and West from all major religions and spiritual paths. They have walked where you walk and understand the challenges you face. And their teachings are always practical. By applying the science of the spoken word through verbal prayers called decrees, the masters teach us how to harness the healing power of the violet flame and other spiritual energies to transform our lives and our world. On The Open Door, it is our goal and great joy to bring you Ascended Master teachings that you can apply in your life right now. To learn more about the Summit Lighthouse and the teachings of the Ascended Masters, visit us today at tsl.org and discover how you can awaken to the light within. It's what you're here to do. Remember, tsl.org. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. Okay, it's time to continue with our in-depth look at the karmic record of a very interesting soul. Ready? Here we go. I'm now going to tell you his last and most recent life in which he became famous in America. If you have any idea who this famous American is, just call out the names that come to you. You're right, it's Al Capone. Whoever <laughs> said that is pretty good. So here's his life. 1899 to 1947. Alphonse Capone. He was born January 17, 1899 in Brooklyn, New York. His father, Gabriel Capone, a barber, emigrated to America from the slums of Naples. Capone was the Americanization of Capone. There were nine children in the family, seven boys and two girls. Al was raised in the slums of New York near Brooklyn's Navy Yard District. He fell under the influence of John Torrio, Terrible John, who was a notorious gangster. Capone said of him, I looked on Johnny like my advisor and father and the party who made it possible for me to get my start. On December 18, 1918, he married May Coughlin, a girl of Irish descent. She was tall, blonde, and slender and worked as a sales clerk in a department store. 
Later on, May stayed at home and was not a part of her husband's social activities. Al often had mistresses. In 1919, Capone's only child was born, Albert Francis, nicknamed Sonny. In 1919, Capone left New York with his wife and son for Chicago, following Torrio. Capone was running from suspicion for two murders and possibly a third. A man he fought with was in the hospital. Capone became Torrio's lieutenant. Torrio ran Chicago's largest gang and controlled gambling, prostitution, bootlegging, alcohol activities in a large part of the city. After sustaining gunshots and being imprisoned, Torrio handed his empire over to Capone and left Chicago. Before becoming the head of the underworld in Chicago, Capone had opposing Irish and Jewish gangs to fight off. Biographer Richard Hammer wrote, Capone's gang was tightly knit, and he had the drive and ambition that others lacked and the unscrupulous amorality to see him to victory. He was determined to become Chicago's master. To achieve his goal, Capone knew he would have to smash his opposition unalterably, not with the Torrio technique of persuasion, treaties, and compromise, but in the manner he knew best, with violence. Understand now how this anger has been building over the centuries, and despite his role as the priest who was humble and served his people, he had never really resolved his anger against the mother figure who divorced his father, never resolved his feud with God that God had destroyed his family in fire. This is building. Momentums do not just stay static, they build. So this is the entire accumulation of anger from the moment his mother abandoned him on Atlantis to the time when he determines he is going to become the master, he is going to become God, he is going to call the shots as to when people live and when people die. He will intimidate, he will persecute, he will cause people to fear and tremble and quake in their boots and in their beds. He will take that power from God and he will take it to himself. Eventually, Capone gained control of Chicago's underworld by gunning down rival gangs one by one. Capone had little fear of official retribution. Between 1927 and 1930, there were at least 227 gangland killings in Chicago, but only two assassins were ever tried and convicted. The Federal Bureau of Internal Revenue estimated that in 1927 alone, Capone's crime syndicate took in more than $105 million. Another estimate claimed that his operation grossed $50 million per year during the peak of his career. Capone enjoyed an extravagant lifestyle. He moved his headquarters to the Lexington Hotel in Chicago. He rented the fourth and most of the third floors. Capone had a six-room suite which cost $18,000 a year. There were other suites for his women. Capone had a private kitchen installed by the hotel and a private chef who tasted all food and drink before it was served. Capone devised an elaborate secret escape route that went from the hotel through the adjoining office building. Remember that this is done for one reason, to get even with God, God the Father and God as Mother. And he is absolutely ensuring himself against his own karma with all of his defenses, all of his wealth, all of the people that are surrounding him, his escape routes, somebody making sure he's not getting poisoned. 
Hammer writes, Capone was a gross man with gargantuan appetites for food, liquor, gambling, and women. He had fully become the beast, which we call the dweller on the threshold. He had fully become the not-self, having rejected the Christ. His bets on horses, dice, roulette, and other games of chance were rarely less than $1,000, and sometimes as much as $100,000. Capone believed in the maximum use of force and violence to gain his ends. Capone liked to think of himself as a nice guy, like a Mr. God. I'll play God. I'll be benevolent. I'll help people. I'll throw money at people. He was garrulous and gave many interviews to reporters. Every schoolboy knew his name. Hammer writes, from the huge roll of bills he always carried in his pocket, he would peel off $10 tips for newsboys and boot blacks, $20 for the hat check girls or chambermaids, $100 for waiters. There was no end to his generosity. When a woman was wounded in a rival gang's attack on a restaurant Al frequented, he paid her $10,000 hospital bill. Some saw him as a kind of Robin Hood, taking from the rich and giving to the poor. He did give a lot of money to the poor. He said many a poor family in Chicago thinks I'm Santa Claus. In other words, thinks I'm God. But a lot of the money was coming from those that could ill afford it. By the end of 1928, according to the Attorney General's Office of Illinois, 91 of Chicago's unions and trade associations were controlled by racketeers. The cost to the public was enormous. When Capone moved in on the cleaning and dyeing industry in order to raise the protection money, the merchants had to raise the price of cleaning a suit by 75 cents. When he moved in on the kosher butchers, the price of corned beef went up 30 cents a pound. 30 cents on every pound of meat goes into the pocket of Capone and his mob. By the end of the decade, the mob's control was costing consumers in Chicago $136 million a year, or $45 for every man, woman, and child. Around 1928, in walks his karma. Capone's mistress, a teenage Greek girl, was diagnosed and treated for syphilis. Capone refused the Wasserman test for diagnosis because he feared doctors and needles. Capone didn't apologize for his violent way of life, but he liked to explain himself. He said, well, maybe the law of self-defense, the way God looks at it, is a little broader than the law books have it. Maybe it means killing a man who'd kill you if he saw you first. Maybe it means killing a man in defense of your business, the way you make the money to take care of your wife and child. I think it does. You can't blame me for thinking there's worse fellows in the world than me. End of quote from Capone. He saw himself as a public benefactor. He said 90% of the people of Cook County drink and gamble, and my offense has been to furnish them with those amusements. Whatever else they may say, my booze has been good and my games have been on the square. Public service is my motto. I've always regarded it as a public benefaction if people were given decent liquor and square games. On Valentine's Day, 1929, the most famous gangland killing took place, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. While Capone was in Miami, in Chicago, six members of Capone's gang, two disguised as policemen, disarmed seven members of the rival Bugs Moran mob and then lined them up against the wall of a garage and killed them all with machine guns. They were trying to get Moran, who was not there. They killed all the others anyway, so they couldn't get away and report them. In May 1928, Capone got word that two of his own lieutenants were planning to kill him. 
to collect the $50,000 bounty a rival gang had placed on his head. He invited these two to dinner, and when they had eaten and drunk all they could, his aides surrounded them, tied them to their chairs, and Capone beat each of them to death with a baseball bat. By 1931, officials in Washington, D.C., decided that the only way to get rid of the gangsters was for violation of income tax laws. Capone's lawyers tried to settle on back taxes, but the government would not do it. Capone had five gunmen ready to kill the tax agents, but was convinced to recall them. Then he tried a $1,500,000 bribe to have the charges dropped. Finally, in the spring of 1931, Capone was indicted, and in October, a federal grand jury found him guilty of five of 22 counts. On October 24, Judge James H. Wilkerson gave him a sentence of 11 years in prison, plus $50,000 in fines and $30,000 in court costs, the harshest penalties handed out up to that time for tax evasion. Capone was imprisoned in Chicago, then Atlanta, then Alcatraz. In 1939, Capone, suffering from syphilis, was released from prison. Capone's neurosyphilis progressed. He suffered periods of disorientation, unintelligible speech, tremors, and epilepsy-like seizures. He lacked mental and physical coordination. He received penicillin for treatment, but had already suffered extensive brain damage. He died on January 25, 1947, in Miami, Florida, at age 48. My comment to you about this is that the greatest vulnerability you or I or anyone can have is an ongoing feud with Almighty God. How do you know if you have a feud with Almighty God? You may not know it because the anger against God is often sealed in the unconscious and it comes out in all kinds of other ways, many kinds of other different ways and manifestations of aberrations in the personality. It is very important to get right with God by also resolving your personal psychology and being willing to dig under a good therapist, a qualified therapist, that you can work with and feel comfortable with. Work with your inner child, work with your inner unloving or loving adult, and seek the reunion of every part of yourself with a living Christ, your holy Christ self. Or you might find yourself working at cross-purposes against the very things that you believe in and that are good and noble and wonderful. Now we hear the mercy of God. The mercy of God is beyond our conception of mercy. Al Capone has reincarnated in the slums of Bangladesh. He is alive. He has been given life after all of this. How God and the Lord Christ has such hope for the soul of everyone. Let us think of this, such opportunity, while there is time. While there is time, let us be grateful to God for the opportunity of living and truly atone for our past by real service and by integration with our real self. Yeah. 
There's always hope, isn't there? Yeah, there is. <laughs> well, coming up next, our weekly Q&A, and today will be with Peter Duffy. Please stay with us. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. Right now, all over the world, Warriors of Light are working tirelessly to defend your soul's opportunity to achieve oneness with God. These spiritual warriors are keepers of the flame, and though few, the power they wield is greater than all of the weapons made by man. Founded by St. Germain in 1961, Keepers of the Flame is a non-denominational fraternity in the tradition of ancient spiritual orders. When you join, you'll receive a series of lessons that will introduce you to a vast and dynamic spiritual world. See for yourself. Access Lesson 1 right now, completely free, no login required. Simply go to tsl.org slash keepers, and in seconds you could be exploring a whole new world of practical Ascended Master teachings. Lessons are printed or available online for any time, anywhere access, and anyone can join. Discover your real self and explore your full spiritual potential. Become a Keeper of the Flame today and awaken to the light within. Please visit tsl.org slash keepers and prepare to accelerate. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. And thanks for staying with us. We are back for a little Q&A on the subject of reincarnation, and we're very glad you stayed with us. Now, we've just heard a very fascinating and for many, I'm sure, very unusual study of the embodiments of, of all people, Al Capone. What did you think of this choice, Peter? Well, I think it's absolutely fascinating to see <laughs> the momentums that shape our present that come from the past. Oh, yeah. And also to see the threads that continued from lifetime to lifetime, his psychology, his karma, and how he reacted to these things. Oh, yeah. Very interesting. Well, I think the, one, of the, one of the sub subjects, you know, the, the, the sub-themes, if you will, was this anger at God idea. Yeah. I mean, I think that must be rather pervasive. I imagine a lot of it have railed against God for one perceived wrong or another at some point in our lives. You know? Yeah, the... the, the, the uh, the force of anger in people's lives mm. and how it can distort things. And, you know, you look at the Middle East today and there's, there's such non-resolution, such anger oh. that you see amongst <laughs> the people. And unless there's some sort of forgiveness, some sort of resolution, it's going to end up in these kind of stories. Oh, know? really? Well, Terry, do you remember a show we did? I don't remember how far back this goes, but it had to do with the theme was there's no injustice in the world. Yeah. If you think, yeah. think of things that happen to us from the standpoint of karma, yeah. there's a justness and an exactness to it. So you can't blame God for your karma. And that, that was the show we did. It was Don't Blame God. Oh, yeah, Remember yeah. That? yeah. <laughs> On this very and thing. And that's what, that's what was in that lecture. You know, yeah. Because he didn't have that, that teaching, that understanding of karma, he became angry. And if he'd had the understanding, he might have realized that it was his own energy coming back and, mm-hmm. and then being able to resolve it. You so know, instead of blaming God, he could have thanked him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You know? He could have seen it in, in a mirror, you know, on a day-to-day yeah. basis, yeah, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. 
And, you know, even saints are not immune from the law of karma, which we've learned, you know, from this lecture. And it's uh, it's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you may have had a wonderful past life and have been a saint, but it's not going to get you through to your victory this time. It's it's all about free will and the choices you make today. Indeed, you can't rest in your laurels. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, we don't want to give anyone the idea that our karma may be too much to handle. Uh, isn't it true that we are never given more than we can deal with at any one time, unless we ask for it, of course? <laughs> well, that's true. And, and you know, karma doesn't return all at once. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's something Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Yeah. I think that's a great statement about returning karma. You get a little bit each day, and of course, some days you get a bit more than others, <laughs> yeah. as, as yeah. we all know. Well, you know, you were talking earlier about service to life. In fact, our first segment was one of the things we talked about with you know, accelerating the transportation of karma. Hmm. Um, service can lead to, you know, maybe dealing with some world karma. Yeah. Be beyond our own. Is that something that we should uh, maybe try to differentiate here so that people understand that it isn't always your own karma you're dealing with, but maybe a little more of the world's karma? Well, sometimes that's true, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, as you, especially as you kind of make more progress on the past and gain, on the path and gain more attainment, you know, you may... Uh, volunteer to take on some of world karma, <laughs> yeah, as well as your own personal karma, you know, because that's what we're all called to do. We're all called to world service. Yeah. So as we as we are get further along on the path, and we have learned how to balance some of our own karma, then we can we can begin to ask for it. Then, right? <laughs> yeah, mean, you can. Yeah. And sometimes the problem is you, you ask for it on, on inner levels, you know, in, in, in the retreats of the masters, yeah. and you volunteer, and then you don't remember when you're down here that you, <laughs> you did this, and yeah. you wonder why all this stuff is happening, you know? Well, I, I know that we've been admonished not to get overzealous and say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm feeling give, so Give it all to I'm, me. Yeah, I'll, yeah, you know, supersize it, Lord. Yeah. Not a good uh, idea. Yeah, maybe not a good idea. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously one way to avoid having to transmute negative karma is not to make it in the first place. Kind of <laughs> duh. <laughs> yeah. But short of living alone in a cave, is there anything we can do, you know, a prayer or a call we can make that will help us to avoid situations where we might be prone to making karma? Well, you know, <laughs> Tom, I don't think living alone in a cave actually does it because, it may, you know, yeah. uh, you may have a yeah. mission, you, stuff you're meant to do. And if you don't do that, if you just retreat to a cave, you may have a karma of neglect, not, not doing things you should have done. Good point. But, uh, <laughs> but I think what, uh, you know, and answer your question, uh, it's really a matter of uh, being in tune with your heart, being in tune with your mission, being mm-hmm. in tune with your higher self. And so I think anything that you can do to help attune with, with your higher self and with the flame in your heart, and, and, you know, what people call the voice of conscience, I think, is, yeah. is the voice of your higher self. Well, I think we talk a lot about discernment, too, and understanding that there are certain nuances to things that we might perceive if we have tuned in properly to yeah. them. We might perceive things in an erroneous way. We don't even perhaps know sometimes that serpentine logic we've talked yeah. about before that maybe makes us look at something a certain way, but we can pray for discernment. We can pray yeah. for that that ability to know the difference, you know, to, to see the right. Yeah. Another thing I think is very important is the, the protection and sealing of your aura and your Ooh, consciousness. Yeah. Uh, because, um, you know, for example, uh, the, the tube of light, you know, that cylinder protection around you of, of the white light, mm-hmm. that can really help to seal you from the negative influences of, of the world, of other consciousnesses. So, you know, the more you can be sealed and protected in your own aura, the more, uh, the easier it is to be in tune with your own higher self and not, 
be bombarded by the influences of the negativity from without. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, our, our show today, obviously, is on reincarnation, past lives, and all of that. And that's, uh, it's what we, you know, but yet we talk about karma. So the two are really joined together at the hip, aren't they, if you will? That's right. Yeah, the, the two really go together. They go and, together. And the only way to understand, you know, the things we deal with in this life is that we are dealing with karma from past lives. That's mm-hmm. the thing. You know, uh, we talked about something else at the beginning of the show, and that was the qualifications for the ascension. And we mentioned that, you know, among other things, uh, balancing 51% of your karma is one of the basic requirements. Well, what happens with the other 49% if we ascend? Well, you have to balance it from the other side after you've made your ascension. And, of course, uh, that may not be quite so easy because... Uh, you've got karma with all these people in embodiment on earth and they can't see you, they can't hear you, they don't, <laughs> they don't necessarily believe you exist. So, so how do you actually interact with them to balance your karma? So um, yeah. that's one of the reasons why it's good to do as much as you can while you're here yeah. and especially to, to use the violet flame because that's the thing that can really help to accelerate the balancing of karma. They say work while you have the light. Absolutely, yeah. So if, if we are um, required as we are, to balance the rest of our karma. We can't interact physically with people who are still here in the, in the earth plane, as it were, by, by creating, I, I want to say, good works. I'm trying to remember what the actual That's term. it, exactly. You, yeah. know, you leave a legacy of yeah. something you can work with after you're gone. Mm-hmm. I remember you know, Mark Prophet, when he ascended, he had something like 75% or so of his karma balanced. But you know, his wife, Elizabeth, his twin flame, after he left, she worked very hard to publish his lectures, his dictations, oh, okay. and so on. So that, to me, was something that he could then work through. He, he, you know, people could interact with him through the things that he had left here on the earth. And I think one reason she did this was to help him balance the rest of his karma. So if you can leave a book or you can leave something else behind that you can work with, that's really you know, a, a bonus when you get to the other side. Like a radio show? A radio show, <laughs> yeah. Can people, I, I'm just having a, a thought here, can people uh, work with other souls in the retreats to help balance that karma? In other words, if I've got karma with you and I'm up there and yep. you're still down here, you go to the retreats, he, you and I can talk. Yeah, and, and you can also, I mean, you know, you can also overshadow people, send them light, you know, send them violet flame from the retreats. You can, you know, use oh. the violet flame in the retreats and send that to people. Yeah. It's not quite as direct as doing it down on earth, but it, that's how, you know, that's how it happens in the retreats. Well, I would imagine when you ascend, you might have a few moments of regret for not having taken full advantage of every opportunity you were given. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, We've got a little time left here, and I want to touch on the cosmic clock. Oh, yeah. We've heard about that. So uh, how does the cosmic clock work in with helping you predict your returning karma? Well, you know, we talked about a little bit of karma or, or a lot coming back every day. And, oh, yeah. and the thing about karma is it, doesn't, it returns in cycles. And some of the cycles are shorter and some of them are longer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the science of cycles, if you, if you understand that, you can understand how karma returns each day. And so that is what the cosmic clock is all about. It's the science of cycles. So if you study that, if you know your cycles, then you have, can have a good read on what's going to return each day. Yeah. And it's yeah. not only, and the thing about karma is it's not only negative, it's also positive karma. You have positive momentums of the past and they also return. Your treasures laid up in heaven. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think if you um, listening out there want to know more about the cosmic clock, you can probably find out some more about it at tsl.org. And um, 
There are, you know, books and There's a great book. There's yeah. a book called Predict Your Future. There Understand you go. the Cycles of the Cosmic Clock. Would you repeat that? Predict yeah. Your Future. Understand the Cycles of the Cosmic Clock. Thank you. And if you uh, didn't get that or couldn't write it down fast enough, you can always email us. We'd be happy to answer that uh, email and send you the title to that book. And other information as well. And on that note, another hour oh my gosh. has just vanished. Where That's did it amazing go? How it, goes. Would, it felt like we had 15 more minutes left. I know it. Well, Peter, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. It truly has. It's been great to be here. Trust we'll do this again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we want to thank you out there for joining us as well. As always. And and as Tom usually says, at some point or another, join us and and contact us at webradio at tsl.org. That's where we can help you. Webradio at tsl.org. And we'll do our best to get back with you promptly. And we will, too. And uh, if we don't answer the email personally, we'll have somebody who's qualified to answer it. Take it from there. Yeah. Okay. And in the meantime, remember, we always say this, but though the upper path may be difficult, the rewards are out Out of of this this world. world. God bless you, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Thank you again for joining us this week for The Open Door. This program is broadcast live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. For more information about The Open Door and the Summit Lighthouse, please visit our website at www.tsl.org. We'll see you again next week.